if you're always worried that AI is going to replace you, it's not to say something that's too far off, you know, yeah. it could happen. But if you're good in using the AI and you're excelling in your career, you're going to be the last to be replaced. I still believe that the human species fundamentally will figure out how to survive. Meaning that if it really does get to a point where people are suffering, losing jobs because they don't need so many jobs anymore, governments will come in, everyone will figure out, okay, how do we create stability in the world? You just need to make sure that you're ahead of the game, you're doing your job really well, you're building your career, and things will work itself out as long as you're doing a great job in what you do. With the rise of remote work, widespread layoffs, and technological disruptions, it can be challenging to navigate and thrive in this ever-evolving work environment. But we got you. To shed light on this topic, we have Derek Toe on the pod with us this week. Derek is an accomplished entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience in the recruitment industry. He is the founder and CEO of Hiredly, a groundbreaking AI-driven recruitment platform that connects companies with top talent. Derek is passionate about helping people find fulfilling careers and is a thought leader on the future of work. In this episode, Derek will be sharing his insights on how to succeed in today's work landscape. We discuss the skills and mindset needed to thrive, the value of mentorship, and how you can stay ahead of the curve even in the midst of disruptions. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how to thrive in today's ever-evolving work landscape with Derek Do. Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Well, Derek, welcome to the Explore This podcast, and we're excited to have this opportunity to chat with you today. Yes, uh, thanks for having me, Janice and Sarah. Looking forward to this chat. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've identified all our mutual friends. All that's got to happen is that we have to bring this meeting from online to offline. So we're looking forward to have that virtual coming into face-to-face in real life, yeah? 100%. I mean, inherently, we talk a lot about community building. So I love what you guys are doing. I think there should be a community of people that, you know, like are very driven by their careers or, you know, whatever. Awesome. And that's another reason why we're connecting with you today. And so, Derek, before we dive into our discussion on thriving in today's ever-evolving work landscape, can you share with our audience a little bit more about your background and how you got into the world and the work that you're doing today as the founder and CEO of Hiredly, which is an award-winning online-to-offline recruitment platform specializing in Gen Y and Gen Z talent. Actually, if you ask me this question on a different day, you might get a different story because I guess there are so many reasons why Hiredly was founded. But if I kind of really reverse back to sort of my own personal journey, I mean, obviously, I, I'm a founder, I built a company right now, but... It wasn't so long ago that, you know, I, I had a job, I was hired and I ran up that corporate ladder. So I experienced all of that. And it wasn't until my early 30s that Hiredly was actually founded. So if we kind of look back at, say, how my 20s was like, I actually imagine it mirrored what most people experience. I picked a subject at university, which was accounting and finance, something that seemed like a safe option when I wasn't really sure what I was going to be good at, what I excel in. And I went into a career in audit, right? And I even got into one of the big four audit firms. Remember the first time I got a call from like Ernst Young, this was in the UK, to say that they would hire me. I was like, wow, that's like my dream come true. An accounting grant, that was like one of the companies to work for. 
And of course, I remember being so happy getting that phone call. So, oh my, you know, I'm going to have a bright career and all that. But the, the problem is, well, as soon as I got in, and by the way, big four firms are very good. I guess if you're made to be an auditor or an accountant, this is the place to go. But the problem I realized eventually was I wasn't made to be an auditor or an accountant. And no matter what I did, I would always be in the room, right? And I look at my colleagues and I'll, and I'll say, oh, this person can be partner one day. This person can be partner one day. You know, you can see that personality, right? But I just never saw it in me. Towards the end of my 20s, like one day I just said, you know what? I don't think this is me. I actually left the UK to come back to Malaysia. It was very difficult to switch my career when I knew that I needed to. Hyundai is a platform that is trying to help a lot of young people find the right job and the right company to work in. And I, I feel that it's actually trying to solve that earlier problem that I experienced. Because most people, if you're young, right, when you don't have any experience, a headhunter wouldn't talk to you, for example. They make money based on your salary. So if they help someone that's earning, say, 20,000 ringgit a month find a job, their fee is based on that salary. If they help someone that's earning 2,000 ringgit a month find a job, their fee is going to be based on 2,000 ringgit salary. And the work is almost the same. So imagine if you're a headhunter, they will always try to focus on the more experienced people. But I would argue that it's the more junior people that need the most help. So it's kind of a bit weird, right? At the junior level, actually, you need the most help. You need to talk to someone and say, actually, what do you think I'm good at? But this is also the time where there's the least help. No one's interested to help you. So you end up going to portals and you know, applying blindly to jobs. Maybe if you're like me, I got lucky and I somehow found the thing that I'm supposed to do and I did really well. But most people don't do it. So don't, most people are not as lucky as I am and, and they're probably stuck doing something and they're always wondering. And, you know, so I always thought that highly would try to solve that problem so that other people don't have to rely on luck like me to kind of find that. I don't use the word true calling because like, I think it's a very big word, but just find that thing that they can excel in, you know, rather than the thing that they're doing now. How did you bridge that, you know, that link between auditing and then into the world of recruiting and is there any sort of advice, general advice you can share in terms of, you know, what you mentioned about helping young people find the path that they are meant to embark on? I actually encourage everyone to apply to as many jobs as possible, but just make sure that you remember what you applied to. I have this caveat. <laughs> so it's very easy to just click, 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 apply, apply, and then like, you know, and, and employers will experience the negative side when they call a candidate. And the candidate will respond, sorry, who are you? They apply to you, like they don't remember. I mean, you don't want that. That's what you want to avoid. But you should apply to as many jobs as possible, but you have to remember who you apply to. All kinds of jobs. You know, it's the best way for you to make this decision. Have the offer on the table. Even if you're not sure you want to do sales, when you're invited to interview for sales role, interview like it's your dream job. You know, interview like you really want this job. Because... Because what you want to do is, I mean, number one, you're training yourself to be good at interviews. So you should, you should try to make an effort. Like, but you shouldn't be half-heartedly doing it because then you're not really learning. So really try to make an effort. And once you get an offer, that's a win for you. But you don't have to say yes. Have it on the table. And then ideally, in the best case scenario, you have a few on the table and you can make a more informed decision. So you're going to evaluate what kind of job this is, what I'm going to do, what's the employer like, you know, what kind of culture do they have, right? It's like a marketing funnel like that. In the beginning, right, you shouldn't overthink what you want to apply to, what you don't want to apply to. Just apply quite broadly and then take it through the whole process and decide later. 
And I think that's very relevant to what we're going to ask you next, which is essentially about the recruitment landscape and, you know, the outlook for Malaysia. You've given us such great and helpful tips for a lot of job seekers out there who might be struggling in this climate that we're in right now. But I think what I found, you know, really fascinating about the New Straits Time article that you recently wrote is that you actually predicted that you will be seeing growth in the recruitment market, especially in Q1 in Malaysia. And why I say it was interesting is because this is is seemingly quite a bullish and positive outlook, right? Especially in a time where we are in the midst of widespread layoffs. Every week, we tend to hear this company's laying off people and then the next company's laying off people. And it's kind of in the thousands and tens of thousands. And also, especially in the midst of a global recession risk as well, particularly from the US and from Europe. We want to talk to you about what this means for companies and for job seekers. So from the perspective of companies, and I'm sure you have lots of insights on this from Hyatt how can companies attract the best talents in the market right now besides using conventional salary or to use rewards as the attraction or the pull factor? 100%, I think salary rewards are, it's a one way to do it. So, but there are multiple levers you can pull if you like. You could have a very structured kind of career growth plan. So especially if you're hiring a lot of junior people, if that's your strategy, then you need to kind of think about, okay, how do I make it very clear with this person that there's a future if you work here, right? So you structure a career growth plan and you can even bring in your existing employees who have grown in the company and to use them as an example. So I'm not just telling a story here. There are really people who've done this and, and this is how they did it. And then you take this story and use it to attract more young people to come and they want to go. That's another way, right? Some kind of growth plan. There's also things like culture, being very aware of the culture you have as a business, as a company, and then sort of tuning it to what you believe your target market is interested in. I'm not a believer that there's one culture. You know, I know that some cultures sound cooler. I'm not sure what the right word is than other cultures or more modern, but I actually don't think there is one culture. I actually believe different cultures suit different people. So you find sometimes that, you know, maybe a lot of young people, when they first graduated, they think about the Googles, you know, all oh, this Google style is really cool. And that, yeah, that, that is pretty cool. I think so. But don't forget that, that there are lots of very good companies out there. They hire a lot of people. You know, they may not have this kind of Google-ish kind of culture, but it is their culture. You know, I would tell a lot of employees, just be very clear who you are. You don't have to pretend to be a company that you're not. And look at the people in your company who have performed very well and you appreciate them, you treasure them as talent, you want, and you want to hire more people like them. You can start there and, and sort of ask them, why are you here? What makes you stay? What is it you like about our culture? And then once you have that clarity about who you are, just in a very unapologetic way, just say like, look, this is who we are as a company. And then the right person would apply to you. Now, if you get to a situation where you are very transparently sharing who you are and not enough people want to apply to you, then you have to do some self-reflection, right? But I wouldn't by default go to the market and tell something that's not true. You still have to tell something that's actually true. It's what's happening in your company and the right people will apply. So other things you can look at is talking about vision. I remember hiring our first employee. She was actually a, a valedictorian. She just graduated, a really talented person. 
actually got the offer from a very famous FMCG company who paid her very well. And at the time, it was just me. So I just invited her for coffee. And she joined us as an intern, by the way. She let go of this kind of FMCG. And the main thing that I saw put on the table was I showed her our competitor's webpage. And I said, like, this sucks, right? This should be replaced. <laughs> then she said, yes. <laughs> I believe this should be replaced. Didn't you wish something much better existed? She said, yes. Then I said, come build this with me. And then she joined. So, and that's sort of like that impact or aspirational goal. So I, I didn't pay her a lot. There wasn't a culture, it's just me. But it was the vision or the goal of the company that pulled this person to join us. I think those are the great and actionable advice. It goes beyond the snazzy ping pong tables or the free flow coffee that either the Googles out there have. But really it goes to show that your story and your brand and your DNA speaks louder than words. But now we want to switch gears and look towards the perspective of employees, young working professionals like Sarah and myself. Yeah, we do consider ourselves still young. What would you advise young working professionals to hone in terms of the important skill sets to develop? How can they showcase these skills and stand out in this ever-evolving and volatile job market? This might seem a bit counterintuitive, but if you're someone that's actually working right now, if you have a job, my first recommendation is don't change your job too often. And I know because I'm, I'm the founder of a job portal, people are always surprised at how come Derek's asking me not to change jobs. Seems to not be what you would want me to do, right? Because we want you, we are a job recruitment company. But the reason I say this is because the, 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 one of the best ways to showcase to your next employer that you're good at what you do is to try to get promoted in the job that you do have now. It's quite important thing. I mean, you can get promoted by switching jobs, but some employers might feel that that's because you interview well. One way to showcase that the skill that you have is to show that resilience and you are able to grow in your current company. And once you achieve that promotion, again, I don't want people to change jobs for the sake of changing jobs, but you're in a much better position if you do want to change jobs because you can show the next employer, look, I, I know what I'm doing, right? That's why I got promoted. So you get promoted not based on your interview skill, you get promoted based on you demonstrating your work. So your employer already evaluated your work and believe you're deserving of a promotion. So that's the best endorsement, right? Keeping in line with like the developments, the trend is quite good. And then they be able to demonstrate to the employer that you're someone that is actually capable of handling change, is dynamic, can think on your feet, will be make you important asset to the employer. One, one of the main reasons employers want to hire young people is the hope that you're more connected to the real world now, right? And sometimes you can bring that into the company. Whereas if the people there have been working 20, 30 years, but their customer base is like the young people now, there's a gap, right? They can't connect. That's why they want to bring a lot of young people to, into the company. So you can connect the company back into the real world. So understanding the real world and being able to demonstrate you can think on your feet is, is a very important skill. Definitely. We hope that by being digital savvy and essentially digital natives, you know, that definitely gives us an edge in this time and day. So Derek, you know, diving a little bit more into putting things into context, you know, in a report by the World Economic Forum, there's up to 85 million jobs that could potentially be displaced by 2025. And if you think about it, 2025 is just a blink of an eye away. And this displacement could potentially happen due to automation. Now, with technological innovation as well as AI disrupting jobs, 
long considered immune to these technological displacements. Can you share with us some thoughts that you have around what ways or trends of works do you see that are going to be significantly impacted, especially here in the Southeast Asia region or more specifically Malaysia? It's good to read predictions like this, but just, just some context that most predictions end up wrong. I remember, and I'm guilty of this also, you know, a, a few years ago when everyone asked about, oh, you know, a job's going to get replaced and you work in like a factory or manufacturing business, right? That wall is like, that job is so easy to replace, you know, because now everything can just be automated. You don't need the human doing the packing anymore and all that, right? But what you find is that eventually people realize that, yes, you can develop the technology for it, but building the robots, for example, the machinery to automate this process is a lot more extensive than a lot of people realize. Like they can do it, but it just doesn't make an economic sense. It's just cheaper to hire a person to do it. Like a person can navigate the physical space a lot better than a robot. And I remember saying that, oh, it's the creative jobs that are most difficult to replace. But you, what you find right now is, and I saw this interview with Sam Altman, who's the OpenAI CEO, uh, which is very true. Actually, what's happening right now is it's going in reverse. So rather than the creative jobs being the most difficult to replace and the manufacturing jobs being the easiest, it's actually going the other way around. Like you have a lot of AI starting to do art and then like with ChatGPT, which is the hot thing right now, you can have it automate a lot of writing, a lot of thinking work which is the knowledge worker space. This is where the knowledge workers. So that's the space that's supposed to be the hardest to disrupt. But it's actually the first place that is getting disrupted. And then the manufacturing businesses are the one that is a bit harder to disrupt because you have to build the machinery to disrupt that space. And I guess if you are someone that's a job seeker, I would encourage you not to be too doom and gloom and oh, I'm so worried about my future. Don't, don't worry too much. The best thing you can do is to work really hard on the thing that's in front of you. Whether you're an accountant, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a salesperson, marketing, doesn't matter. If you are great at your job, no matter how much things get automated or disrupted, just make sure that you're the last to be replaced. It's never going to be like all the lawyers get replaced or all the accountants get replaced. It's just the way the human beings add value is kind of high up the value chain. Like more and more intelligent work and a lot of the less grunt work routine work gets replaced. So if you are performing in your field, you shouldn't have to worry. So I think this speaks a little bit, Derek, from a perspective of upskilling and that learning mindset that we have, right? But I'd like to, to just dive a little bit further and, and ask you, what are your thoughts around how then can we as young professionals ride this wave to ensure that we are not left behind? I mean, you spoke about AI and technological advancements initially replacing mundane and more operational tasks, but now also coming into the field of creativity. So then what, what are some things that we can actually do and think about? Let's say a tool like ChatGPT, right? When I first introduced this tool internally and hierarchy to people in the company, most people saw the use of the tool in a very narrow way. I was like, oh, what do you think we could use ChatGPT for? And most of them would say that, oh yeah, I can use it to write emails. I can use it to write blog posts, you know, can automate a lot of writing. It's a great way to get the first draft. And then as I tried to kind of challenge everyone to think a bit more, eventually they started to realize that, oh, I can use this tool to help me think. Not just write, but actually help me think. 
So as an example, let's say if we want to launch a job portal into Singapore or Indonesia, you can actually ask ChatGPT this question and you give you an answer. I mean, a big portion of the answer is going to be wrong, but you're going to get a lot of good answers, ideas, and that, that helps you think. So I don't even need to do brainstorming now. I can just I'll actually just give me a hundred ideas. I stare at it and then, and then that helps me think about what to do next. So with a lot of young people right now, what I would suggest to them is there's actually a lot of tools out there that they can be using to accelerate their career. That's not obvious to a lot of people, but you have to be very clever in how you use it, right? If you're going to use it in an obvious way, other people are using it in an obvious way. So if you can think of a non-obvious way to use the tool, you can actually accelerate your career in a way that other people may not even realize you're doing. Yeah, so while we're on it, Derek, share with us what are some non-obvious ways. Let's not leave our listeners hanging, you know. Let's say you're a salesperson and you're a salesperson for a vacuum cleaner. I don't know, let's say I, that's a bad example, but let's say that's what you sell. Now, your company might have trained you how to sell this vacuum cleaner and that's what you kind of learn. But why don't you ask the AI this question? If you're a salesperson selling this vacuum cleaner, how would you sell it? You know, send it to me like I'm six years old. Send it to me like, you know, Steve Jobs is selling it. Just try. And then you're going to get such interesting answers and very good answers. And you can be like, oh, wait a minute, I can say that. And then now suddenly compared to your colleagues, you are a better salesperson. Right? I'll give you a different example. In Hyrule, our AI is called Ashley. We have a persona. So one day I sort of went to the team and said, hey, we need to give Ashley a face. That's what I told the team. And then the team said, oh, we're very busy. I can give it to you in a few weeks. So I did that. I, I just went to Dali. If you're I knew it. I was just yeah. going to ask if you use Dali for it. Yeah. That's right. I just went to Dali. I said, it's poetic that AI will create the face of our AI, right? I can't remember what the prompt was, but literally like, you know, draw me a face of a recruitment AI, you know, uh, in the anime style, make it non-binary, all that condition, da, 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 purple hair, and, blah, 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 and the thing just came out. And then, and now... The face of Ashley was created by another AI and this process took like 10 minutes rather than waiting a month. So this is just an example. So if you are someone that's coming up to build your startup today and you don't really have employees, there are lots of free tools around that you can use to kind of shortcut. So you can leverage all this and suddenly just you as one person can do so much versus what people used to do last time. You just have to be very creative in how you use the tool and experiment. Derek, my takeaway from, you know, all what you've been sharing is that actually there's no need to fear these new waves of technological change, but really it's to embrace the advancements and innovation and help that it can offer, especially the more mundane research-based kind of task. And it comes back to the advice you gave earlier, right? Understand the real world, be curious, and keep yourself updated with the change because there are many ways to write that change and to even use it to stand out, I would say, in, in the job market. And, and if you're always worried that AI is going to replace you, which I actually think that, okay, it's not to say something that's too far off, you know, yeah. it could happen. But if you're good in using the AI and you're excelling in your career, like I said earlier, you're going to be the last to be replaced. I still believe that the human species fundamentally will figure out how to survive. Meaning that if it really does get to a point where people are suffering, losing jobs because they don't need so many jobs anymore, Governments will come in. Everyone will figure out, okay, how do we create stability in the world? You just need to make sure that you're ahead of the game. You're doing your job really well. You're building your career. 
and things will work itself out as long as you're doing a great job in what you do. So there is, there is hope for us all. The robots are not out to get us. No, no. Well, <laughs> I don't know, but we'll see. <laughs> something else that we do want to touch on as well, Derek, something else that you do apart from highly working on the recruitment platform is that you actually started this initiative of investing in young leaders under the age of 30. You kind of do this developmental program. So we want to understand a bit more about the value of mentorship and coaching from you. What is the importance of mentorship and coaching, especially from the perspective of young job seekers? And how can they sort of get themselves confident enough to build these mentorship relationships? That's a great question. In Hardy, we, well, it's not really a high, highly thing, but we are kickstarting it right now. One day we hope that the community thinks it's on its own life. But just to give some context, right? So I think a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, I, I just randomly thought to myself that same reason why Hailey was started. In my 20s, in my career was kind of like, nah, you know, and it wasn't very exciting. And I mean, a combination of, I wasn't a great auditor and I wasn't super ambitious also at that time. It's only in my 30s that things kind of took off. And I was having a lot of fun in my 20s. Last. But I would sometimes reflect on all these really young people who are very ambitious. And in their 20s, they're managing people, they're growing, you know, high potential people. And I really want, well, how do they do it? And I really think, of what, what kind of support do they have? Because it's such a small group of people. And what happens at the end? I really wonder, like, if you keep getting promoted very fast, like, are you going to be CEO of the community? What, what, what does it turn out to be? And then you have a lot of like, more experienced people working company and then you have to manage them. So I, I sort of like reflected on this. And say, you know what? I think they need a lot of help. So why don't, as a starting point, I get them to meet each other? That's how the, that idea first came about. So I wrote a post on LinkedIn and I said, hey, you know, I realize there's a lot of ambitious young people out there. They don't get a lot of support. Why don't you support each other as a starting point? Like, oh, so, so like peer support, like literally, oh, you're going through this and then you suddenly realize other people are going through the same thing and you don't feel so alone and you can share tips with each other, how you can handle it. Our dream or goal is that this community takes a life of its own. I'm not sure how many communities like that in Malaysia, to be very frank. I'm not super sure. But if you're a young person who is very career orientated and you need support, then one good way is to actually look out for relevant communities that are relevant to you. So say if you are in tech, I'm very sure there are programmers out there who meet up, you know, together. You'll really, really learn from your peers. I just think the best way to find a good mentor is, again, be amazing at what you do. Just be so amazing at what you do and the mentor will look out for you. They will notice you, they'll talk to you and then the opportunity will open up. Because a lot of mentors, because they know they cannot mentor a lot of people, they actually don't want to waste time on people who are not serious. So most of the time, they will just look at someone and say, well, this person is really driven. I know they're struggling and I want to help you, you know. So I, I volunteered say, look, you want, uh, let, let's do something where I can be a mentor to you. I only think that this happens in this way rather than someone just goes to a mentor and say, can you mentor me? You know, I, I'm not sure how that works. But maybe you guys have ideas. Like maybe you've seen it happen before. I would love to hear. No, I would say you're right, Derek. I believe that mentorship, sometimes people think of it as like formal mentorships. And yes, there are some structured formal mentorship programs. But on a more personal front, I think the way I've usually been approaching it is very informal. 
And I do think that you do not need to have only one single mentor. You can have many depending on what specifically are your needs. So I think that's usually how I go about it. I have many people that I consider and regard as mentors from a career perspective, but none that I've gone up to them to actually say like, hey, can you mentor me? It takes a life on its own. And the fundamental basis and foundation that you need to have is trust. So that, that's something that I've personally learned in my journey. What, what about you, Janice? I think how I do it is I am quite intentional about my relationships as well when I get to know someone and I find that this person is someone I really respect, admire and in some way I want to learn from them especially if they share similar career paths and trajectories. I'll make it a point to be intentional about the time I spend with them about what I want to learn from from them and I think from there informally a sort of mentor-mentee relationship is then formed because they sense that intentionality they sense the seriousness. I think the element of intentionality has to be there. Definitely, definitely. I think one tip that I'll add also, even if you're seeking someone for a mentorship, it's okay to be prescriptive around like a time period, six months. You don't want to have this feeling of, okay, we're just holding each other on and we're meeting once every two weeks, but we're not really sure what we're going to get out of it. It's perfectly okay to time bound it. Thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm thinking about this. The thing I'd be really curious about sometimes is, I guess a simple example. In the startup scene, there are a small handful of people that I've met that I genuinely love mentoring. Genuinely. And, and they do it because they want the startup ecosystem to succeed. So when they meet a new founder and they know this founder is serious, you know, I can ask them a question. I'm reflecting when I was still newer. I would ask them a question and they would take the time to really give me a real answer. Even though... And they'll send me over WhatsApp and so on very fast. I'm always very curious, like those people who sort of mentor for free, like why do they do it? You know, why is there incentive for mentoring? I always wonder, apart from this very small group, who are generally very passionate. So if I look at how sort of I got mentorship, a lot of it's from peers. So that means other startup founders, some of them slightly ahead of us in different areas. So I might be ahead of them in some areas, they're ahead of me in different areas. So as an example, Sometimes if I'm doing fundraising and I've never raised money from say, certain groups of VCs before, I can reach out to some of them and say, I'm going to meet this VC. What do you think they're interested in? Or you know, how should I structure my page? And then they, they have to give me ideas. And sometimes they have questions about recruitment and, hey, Derek, how do I do this? And I, and I, so we're like a reverse mentor. We sort of support and mentor each other. And I find that to be very, very useful compared to, let's say, uh, I have met mentors, so-called, who, let's say, they've grown very big businesses, they exited the company, they're wildly successful. And sometimes the advice that they would give me is very disconnected because they're not in the same stage that I am in. You know, it's very common. Right? So I, I find peer mentorship to be quite good. And the other type of mentors we get, because we're a company, is that I have advisors in the company and as I give them some shares. So they don't take money yet. They just say, okay, I'll take a small cut of your company. Every month, I'll spend two, three hours with you. And they go deep. Like, so they go deep. And I literally will share with them every problem they're facing. I ask them what's on their mind. And I trust their answer because I understand the transaction that's in place here. You know, I understand that they're incentivized for highly to succeed because they own a share of the company. And that's also the reason why they're mentoring me. They're not mentoring me out of pure goodwill. But they, they like working with me. La. They don't just waste their time on any company. But I understand that this arrangement in place, the incentive for them. So it goes back to my original question. Sometimes when you're choosing a mentor, you know, it's also quite important that 
you understand how this relationship or dynamics will like, what's the incentive to this person? Am I getting good advice or not? You know, is this person just winning it? <laughs> it's very dangerous sometimes when you hear from a mentor and they don't really take the time to really understand you as a business and they're giving you advice and you're taking their advice very seriously. Because trust me, I've met a lot of very successful people and sometimes they will keep completely contradicting advice. So sometimes the question is like, whose advice is right? I, I think that the advice of the person that knows us a lot better generally deep down will give better advice. That's what I believe. That's such a good point to have as well in that like it's not just about the success or the accolades of that person that you are seeking mentorship from that matters, but it's also how well they know you and also what's in it for them. What's the purpose? I think my, one of my key takeaways from your sharing is that in this whole relationship that we have, mentor and mentee, are we both clear about what we want to achieve out of this whole situation, yes. right? Yes. And why are you helping me? And the reason why for me, I need to be very clear about this is I, I need to know that the advice that you're giving me is good. I need to trust that advice is good. So I also need to understand the underlying reason why we have this relationship right now. What their motivations are. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, are you just mentoring me so you can feel good about yourself as a mentor? Or are you generally helping mentoring me because it's about me? You're trying to help. So is it about you or is it about me, right? What, what motivates this kind of relationship right now? So these are things that I would, I would always ask that. And so Derek, in terms of all of these things that we've been talking about today on how we can thrive in this ever-evolving work landscape, what is one final actionable tip or advice that you will recommend to our listeners out there who may be impacted by these recent layoffs or for those who are just struggling to find employment in this job market? I would always say prior to you being laid off, I've even go a step before this, prior to you being laid off, keep yourself always employable. Meaning that even you have a job now, you can start there. It's okay to go for interviews. You don't have to change your job. I'm not asking you to change your job. But you should always make sure that you're relevant to the market. CV is updated. You still interview very well. You still got the skills uh, and you have your options on the table. And if you're invited for interview, you can go interview. You don't have to say yes. But at least you're pretty switched on. So... In case your company ever goes into a situation where you're laid off, like you have those other options on the table, or at least you're well-practiced in the whole interview process. I think what a lot of people struggle with is once they get laid off and they're not prepared, you know, their CV is not ready, they haven't interviewed in years, and now they're going to the market without a job. In the negotiation, uh, when you don't have a choice, you sort of lost the negotiation already. No, it's not your fault. But it's not ideal also. It's just like psychology sometimes, right? When you already have a job, sometimes employers work harder to try to hire you because you have choice. And I think in general, if you are in the group of people that already been laid off, it's okay. It's happened. What I suggest for you to do is get your CV ready, go start interviewing and keep this in mind. Eh? As much as I know you need a job, but try to act like someone that is employable. If that makes sense. Don't come across the employer like, oh, if I'm okay. I can take any job you offer me. You should come across the employer as, no, actually, I'm good at my job. Unfortunately, this happened in my company. But actually, it's a great time for me to sort of think about my long-term career. So I have these kind of options or plans in place. I'm trying to make a good decision here. So you don't make the employer feel that, oh, right, you know, you just take any job that you put on the table. Right? The employer feels that you are serious about your career. The layoff happened but you have options. 
that actually puts you in a better kind of negotiation ground and uh, and also appear more attractive to the employer. I think that's great tips, Derek. I personally know of a friend who she's she's hired and she's employed, but every couple of months, every six months or so, she, for just for fun, just to keep her on her toes, she would go for interviews just so that she can keep herself relevant, exercise those interview muscles. So I think that tip that you gave was great. To the point about for those that have indeed been laid off, it is indeed unfortunate and it was something that is out of control. It's okay to grieve about it because it is something that you have personally experienced and, you know, we can empathize with it. And I really like this tip which you gave then that is, you know, recognize that there are strengths and skills that you are bringing to the table and that there is something that you can offer to your next potential employer. So thank you so much for that, Derek. And on that note, we'll like to go for a quick rapid fire round with you. And let's start off with question number one, which is, what is one myth that you would like to debunk about Gen Ys and Gen Z? One thing employers need to realize is as much as you want to complain about Gen Y and Gen Z changing jobs, and I'm not asking them to change jobs, by the way. I'm just making this point that you also have to realize that the reason they're able to change jobs is another employer hired them. As in, don't just make it about the talent or the Gen Y or the Gen Z. How about the other employer? You need two hands to clap, right? An employer decided to hire them, therefore they change jobs. At the end of the day, it's how the market is working. So if you are in hiring, we've hired a lot of people fresh grant from six, seven years ago, and they're still with us until today. What do you think about that, right? Isn't that, that very interesting? That definitely speaks for itself in terms of, you know, your mission, your vision, your leadership, and um, what you're doing with Hired Lee. Yeah, I mean, many, many people are still here. And then it's because we are very driven by culture. And even the people that leave, they leave in a very good way. They did so well here and then they're going on to something that's really a, a good growth for them in terms of their career. And if you build the good culture, a right culture, the people in your company won't change jobs that often. Right? It's not really that true that they just automatically change jobs. All right. Second question, Derek. Are you team work from home or team work from office? I'm team freedom to choose. I love that. Yes. But I want to caveat that a little bit. Because currently, Hyredi is going through a phase where we are encouraging people to come into the office. And it's because we've grown so much. There's so many new people in the company. And I do find that it's very difficult to integrate people into the culture if they're not physically in the same space. But in general, as a rule, I don't really care whether they're in the office or hybrid. But I will make a prediction about the future though. I actually think that in-person working it's actually going to swing back in that direction more than the remote working thing. Very aggressively, it will swing back in this direction. As much as the general, I'm hearing on the ground, oh, hybrid or remote working actually is going the other way. And you may shock a lot of people in a very surprising session. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because one something that a lot of people don't realize is a lot of this kind of culture or these work practices originate from the tech industry in America. And they were used as the pillars of like, you know, they, they carry the flag. And I can tell you right now, what's happening there is they're swinging in the other direction. They're calling for people to come back to the office. Right? So it will happen. And so if you are team remote working, you might continue, you might feel a little bit disappointed soon. Because <laughs> most companies are going to ask people to come back to the to their offices already. Well, enjoy while it lasts then. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy whatever that's going to be left of it until you're mandated to come into the office. All right, Derek, what is one job that you believe will never be disrupted by AI? Jobs that require social skills and human connection. 
it's the hardest to be disrupted by AI. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Good to know that. <laughs> yeah, let's put it this way. Yeah. If they manage to, to replace this, then I think we've reached a stage where no one has a job anymore. And let's hope we don't get to that. And finally, what is the best career advice that you have ever received? Not so much that I've received directly, but something I learned from a podcast recently. So there's this very famous author, which you probably know, Brene Brown, right? So she did a podcast recently. I think with Tim Ferriss, I listened to his podcast a lot. One of the conversation topics was about, I use my own words here, how to balance between self-love and acceptance and also being very ambitious and goal-driven. Because sometimes when you talk about self-love and acceptance, that might sometimes also mean complacency. Like you're, oh, you're so happy where you are that you're not really pushing yourself to do more. A lot of high performers struggle to find this line. Like, oh, do I really push and give myself all this stress and want to grow and have this expectation? Or do I kind of love myself for where I am? Right? And, and the advice I got from that, which I think was very good, is that the best thing to do is you decide the line yourself. That's one thing that people should realize. And I know a lot of performers struggle with this a lot. So meaning that however much you want to perform, however much you feel that it's enough, as long as it's not imposed by other people, you should set your own line as to where you want to be in your career. Once you are very self-aware and make the decision, where is your line? You have to accept, like let's say if you're super driven, work very hard, you have to accept that you don't get to spend time with family. You're going to be very tired, but you made this choice. If you're the person that kind of said, I want to work in the same company 20 years and my salary doesn't grow, you also have to accept that, well, okay, then your salary doesn't grow. And maybe you might look at some of your friends and they're growing, but they're trading off their weekends to grow, right? But you made your choice. But so you don't take this decision and then later feel sad that you're not having a career that's growing very fast. So, so that's kind of my interpretation of that advice. And I feel that for most people, and even for me, is I'm very self-aware of what I want, where my line is, and what I sort of sacrifice, right, to hold this line. So most people need to make that decision themselves. A lot of contemplation needed and, you know, a good reminder of not taking that self-love towards complacency and, and in that sense, providing excuses, right? So... Thank you so much for that reminder, Derek. And as we officially wrap up now, one final question that we ask all of the guests, all of our guests on the Explore This podcast is what is the one thing you recently explored that surprised you? I talk about food and dieting, that's it, right? It's actually possible to go on some kind of diet and not suffer. Let's say you're trying to be healthy and all that. If you can pick the right diet for you, you can love the food that you're eating and actually still hit your health goals. Learn that recently because automatically when a lot of people think, oh, I need to kind of go on a diet and stuff, I think the default is that, oh, it's good. I have to suffer, you know, <laughs> but you don't have to. So what I did, for example, right, and I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm just trying to slow down my aging, okay, for context. <laughs> trying to not add on weight so fast <laughs> and I don't have time to exercise. So what I do is I basically say, I'm going to try to say do keto. I will just do a Google search and find like, oh, what are the foods that are acceptable in a keto diet? Right. So I pull out a list like that. And from this list, I started ranking the type of food that I like, what I don't like, and what I'm medium, what I'm medium like, I start ranking. And then I just go all in on the food that I like. 
So every day, I'm actually eating stuff and like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I love what I'm eating, but actually I'm on keto, if that makes sense. Like, I'm hitting that health goal, but I'm not suffering at all. I think, in fact, this is probably joyous news for a lot of our listeners out there. And especially because today we spoke a lot about, you know, tech disruptions and layoffs. I think this is a very joyful end to that conversation. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so, you know, where can our listeners find you on social media if they want to know more about your work or, or more about Hiredly? I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram, but the Instagram is more personal. But yeah, you can, you can go on LinkedIn or you can just check out Hiredly and Hirely.com. Our goal is to help people find the place, the, the right company to work in. So hopefully you also can reach us there. Thank you so much, Derek, for this really insightful and enlightening and hopefully encouraging conversation to all job seekers out there, young professionals, mid-level professionals. We are very sure that, you know, everyone will take away something from today's conversation. So once again, Derek, thank you so much for your time today. Yes, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. If you stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We would love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every alternate Mondays at 8pm. See you then!